So Mark chapter 10, starting reading at verse 1. This is God's word. Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And multitudes gathered to him again. And, he, and as he was accustomed, he taught them again. The Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. In the house, his disciples also asked him again about the same matter. So he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Amen. We thank God for his truth. Well, I'm sure you noticed as we read through the passage today that it's sort of out of the frying pan and into the fire with this section of Mark. We had a difficult passage last week, but this week's is just as difficult, Um, although perhaps it's difficult in a different way. There are a few approaches that I could take to this passage. We could spend our time talking about divorce and we could spend talking about how regrettable divorce is. We could take our time and talk about the legitimate reasons that there might be to have a divorce. We could spend our time talking about the grace and forgiveness that is available for anybody who is divorced. He has been divorced. Equally, I I could take some time to deal with the the kind of fallout of divorce and and point us towards God's compassion to those who have been hurt by the sin of others. Alternatively, I, I could preach a sermon on marriage and I could say, look how seriously Jesus talks about marriage I could point us to the symbolism in marriage of of leaving father and mother and cleaving as a picture of of Christ's union with his people. Christ who who left heaven to to become one of us, to take humanity to himself and, and to join himself with the church. I could use this opportunity to to point out to us that Jesus appeals to the created order in Genesis as a model for marriage. Meaning that according to Jesus, marriage is explicitly between one man and one woman for life. And that would lead us into a discussion on the issues with so-called same-sex marriage and all sorts of other sexual sins, such as adultery or the use of pornography. There are probably as many scenarios for us to deal with as there are people in this room. 
And not one of those scenarios has an easy answer. These are not trivial things that I have mentioned. And there are people in this room, I am sure, who have dealt with some of them in the past or are maybe even going through it in the present. Let me say that while there aren't easy answers, God's word does speak into these situations. And if you would like some pastoral care concerning any of those, then please contact me. It's part of my job as your minister to deal discreetly and sensitively with all of the things that I have mentioned. It may be that you need help. Please do not hesitate to speak to me. Get in touch. Get in touch over the phone or text or however you wish to get in touch with me. But actually, while it's helpful to mention all of those things and and even helpful in, in a brief introduction, and we're going to touch on some of them as we work through the passage, I think it actually would neglect the point of this passage appearing in Mark's gospel, here where it does in Mark 10. We have to be clear that God has called us today into his presence. And before the foundations of the world, God had set aside this passage to be the one that we would hear today. So before the foundations of the world, God knew that on the 30th, of January 2022, as part of a series working through Mark's gospel, we would be in Mark chapter 10, verses 1 to 12. And so I don't want to go off on a tangent. It would be foolish of me to go off on a tangent. The Holy Spirit has inspired this passage. God has given it to us. So we have to dig down and see what this passage in particular is teaching us. And there's a big clue given to us in verse 2. In fact, there's two clues. Do you have your Bible open at Mark chapter 10? And look carefully at verse 2 with me. It starts by saying, the Pharisees came and asked him. And that's the first clue. When the Pharisees show up and ask Jesus a question, we need to be on our guard. Their questions are never straightforward and they are always designed carefully in order to trip Jesus up, to try and put him in a trap. So what is this question which they seek to to trap Jesus with? They ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And then, well, Mark adds a second clue and it gives the game away. Two words, just so we know exactly what's going on. He says they were testing him. Now notice what their question is. They don't ask about a woman. They don't ask about her right to divorce. They don't ask if divorce is a good or a bad thing. They're not really interested in the morals of divorce. Their question is about the law. Is it lawful? Do you see that? So while on the surface, our passage and the Pharisees' question is about marriage and divorce, when we dig a little bit deeper, we can see it's actually a question about the law. Divorce is is simply an example that they're giving. 
And we're going to see this again throughout the rest of Mark's gospel. The Pharisees are going to ask a question of Jesus, which seems to be about one thing, and it's actually about something else. And the reason they're asking is to try and trap Jesus. Divorce is not an easy example to deal with, and they knew that. John the Baptist had his head cut off for criticising the divorce and remarriage of King Herod. And then there's the fact that in Deuteronomy chapter 24, God does permit divorce. So what is Jesus to do? If he says divorce is wrong, then he's going to be contradicting God's word. But if he says divorce is right, well, then won't he be saying that the Pharisees have a good understanding of how to interpret God's law, better than John the Baptist anyway? And and he would be implying, therefore, that people should follow the Pharisees' rules. Those rules, by the way, even allowed for divorce if a wife was to burn the toast. So what does Jesus do? How is he going to deal with this question? Again, to point to the heart of the issue, what does Jesus teach us about what we do with the law of God, which does permit divorce? Well, you'll see as you read the passage that Jesus doesn't get caught in the trap. Look at verse five with me. Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. Jesus gets to the heart of the issue. And as usual, the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. This passage is about so much more than divorce. This passage is about our relationship to the law. It's about how we understand God's law and how we use it. It's about the limitations of the law. It's about how the law cannot save us. Only Christ can save us. This passage is about what it means to to keep rules and regulations, understanding that we are sinners. And what then does it mean for us who are sinners saved by grace, who have been given new hearts, who have had our our hard hearts made new through Christ? What does it mean for us to live under the freedom of God's law? Well, from this passage, I want us to see two things about God's law. The first is that the law limits sin. And the second is the law cannot save from sin. So first of all, the law limits sin. By looking at the words of Jesus in this section of Mark's gospel, I think we can say some things clearly about marriage and divorce. We can say this, marriage is intended to be between one man and one woman for life. And to make this point, Jesus doesn't appeal to the law. He looks back to creation to Adam and Eve. And he confirms that from the beginning, God's pattern is that a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become 
one flesh. He goes on, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Contrary to the question of the Pharisees, Jesus affirms God's plan for marriage. And in another sermon and in another context, I think it will be very appropriate to point to this passage and and say, look what Jesus teaches. Jesus points back to creation. And there's an argument there against any notion of same-sex marriage. But that's for another day. The Pharisees' question is about divorce. So, having said that God's plan is that one man and one woman be married for life, we have to realise that was before the fall. That was before sin came into the world. And so because of human sinfulness, things don't always work out perfectly. The fall into sin means that we can act sinfully. And so in some circumstances, divorce will be needed as a result of sin. But while we can say that every divorce is a result of sin, what we can't say is that every divorce is sinful. So let me repeat that for clarity. We can say that every divorce is a result of sin. We cannot say that every divorce is sinful. There are clear grounds for divorce. And they're given to us in scripture. That doesn't mean that they have to lead to divorce. Often reconciliation is possible. But there are some times when divorce is an option. The two that are given in the Bible and picked up on in the Westminster Confession of Faith are sexual immorality and desertion. Now I take desertion to mean not only deserting the marriage, but also desertion of the love and care that one promises in marriage vows. That means if there's abuse, for example, or or divorce is certainly permitted. Now look, no two situations are the same. And it's very wise to seek as much help as possible before entering into divorce proceedings. Let me say again, I am available if anyone needs to talk these things through. That doesn't mean I'm an expert, I'm not. And of course there are other places to seek counsel and wisdom. But I'm very willing to talk with, to pray with and to read the Bible with any couples, together or separately, who need this kind of help. So having said what we've said so far, marriage for life is God's plan, but because of sin, God allows divorce in some circumstances. Well, that's precisely what Jesus says here in Mark chapter 10. Look again at verse 5. Jesus doesn't deny that there is provision for divorce in the law. But he doesn't go so far as saying divorce is a good thing. He says it would put in the law because of people's hardness of heart. Because of sin. Friends, divorce is not a good thing. It's a horrible thing. I'm sure that anybody who's been through it or seen someone they know and love go through it will know how difficult it is. 
ultimately caused by the sin of one or both people in a marriage. And it is certainly the result of the sin of Adam and Eve. But sometimes, sometimes it's necessary to prevent worse hurt, to prevent worse injustice and worse sin being caused. And so in his mercy and his grace, God allows for divorce in the law without ever saying it's a good thing. We might even say that it's the least bad option. And so the law limits sin. That's what this law is given for. But the broader point for us today is that this applies further than just to divorce. There are many areas of God's law that we wouldn't need if we weren't sinful people. The law limits our sin. It restrains us. But it doesn't and it cannot keep us from sin. As Jesus points out, where does sin come from? It comes from hard hearts. And apart from the grace of God, we all have hard hearts hearts and the law the law cannot give us new hearts it can't it restrains our hard hearts but it can't change us and try as we might we're unable to keep all of the law i think that's really helpful for us to understand restraining sin is traditionally understood in reformed churches as the second use of the law. But it's important that we realise we can't keep the law. Because if we were able to keep the law, if we were able to keep all the rules, then we would be sinless. And there would be no need for Christ. So the law is good and useful. And one of the things it does is limit sin. But we have to be honest enough to say we can never keep all of it. Which brings us to our second point. The law cannot save us from sin. Only Jesus can save. Only Jesus can give us the freedom that we would embrace and want to keep God's law. It's only in Christ that we are set free from the law. And this is what the Pharisees just didn't get. They thought that they could try really hard. They thought that they, if they could keep as much of the law as possible, then they would be accepted by God. But that's not what the law is for. The purpose of the law is, first, to show us how sinful we are. Second, to limit sin, to restrain evil that exists within us, that we've just said. And then thirdly, to reveal to us what is good and pleasing to God. The law never has been and never will be a route to salvation. The only way to salvation is through Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So friends, let me say this as gently as possible. You can be as good as you like. 
You can keep all the rules. You can dot all the I's and cross all the T's, but you will never, you will never be good enough. Your sin runs too deep. It's there in your heart. And what you need is not to try and clean up your heart. You need your heart to be cleansed by God. As the old hymn puts it, you need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. You need to come to Christ. You need to receive from him mercy and grace and forgiveness. But not only that. This is the amazing thing about the gospel. God doesn't only remove your sin when you come to Jesus. He also gives you Christ's righteousness. He takes away your imperfections and your sinfulness. He takes away your record of wrongs. And in its place, he gives you the righteousness of Christ. And in that, in Christ... There is freedom from the law. And here's the amazing thing. That freedom actually helps us to keep the law. When we have been freed by the blood of Jesus, we want to use the law for its third purpose. We want to find out what is good and pure and righteous. What is it that pleases God? Because we've been set free in Christ, Our aim is to keep the law out of gratitude rather than out of obligation. So let me urge you again today, come to Christ. Come to Jesus and find in him forgiveness and freedom. Come to the cross to see your sin removed. Come to the empty tomb. To see that he is risen and that in him there is new life, robed in his righteousness. How does all of this apply to marriage and divorce? Well, I want a quote from a commentary I found very helpful in preparation this week. He says this. For those among us who are the victims of adultery or desertion, know that God's grace is sufficient for you to forgive your part in the divorce, if any. Enable you to enable you, God's grace is sufficient to enable you to forgive the one who wronged you. Most importantly, God's grace is sufficient for you to move on with your life. For those among us who have caused divorce through sinful actions, Know that while you must do all you can to repent and make restitution for the damage you have caused, God's grace is sufficient to forgive you of your sin and enable you to make peace and seek restitution with the person you have harmed and likewise move on. That being said, we cannot accept the spirit of the age which says marriage is no big deal. Jesus directs his people to the original creation mandate. Marriage is a divinely sanctioned union between two people in which they become one flesh. But neither is divorce some kind of unpardonable sins. Like other sins, it can be forgiven by the blood of Christ. Friends, divorce is not an unforgivable sin. 
And there is always forgiveness for those who come to Christ in faith and repentance. But I don't want to finish on divorce and marriage. Like I've said, divorce is only an example used by the Pharisees to trap Jesus in his interpretation of the law. But Jesus cannot be trapped. He's the author of the law. He understands it better than any of the Pharisees. And today he wants you to know two things. He wants you to know the law is good because it limits sin. But he also wants you to know that the law can never save us. We can only be saved through Jesus. And he wants you to find freedom in his mercy and grace today. Let me pray for us.